0: What's going on? Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host is Canucks insider Thomas Strantz, who of course also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota All-Star team, AvenueMachinery.ca. DouglasLakeEquipment.com. We are coming to you live. From the Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, happy Valentine's Day. To you too, I'm not sure, uh I'm not sure how many Valentine's cards Rick Talkin is giving out at Canucks practice today <laughs> after the 6-1 loss to the Detroit Red Wings last night, but uh, yeah, happy Valentine's Day to Drancer, to all of our listeners, and I mean, let's get right into it. Uh, We've seen variations on that game, it seems like an awful lot this season, Canucks lose 6-1 against Detroit, and you know, we can talk about some of the play that we saw on the ice and all that, or 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 we cannot. (laughs) Well, I was going to say, one of the things that's been a common theme this year is the most, I wouldn't even say entertaining, but just the most like telling- And remarkable and interesting thing to come out of a Canucks game. Last night, it wasn't anything that happened on the ice, really. It was what the coach had to say. And that's been the case a lot. That's (laughs) been the case a lot this season, where the the game ends, and I'm like, ooh, I want to hear what the coach... I really want to hear what the coach has to say about this one.
1: But the drama has been higher stakes all season, and frankly, for multiple seasons, than the results on the ice, right? I mean, that's exactly... Like, nothing says more about what this season has been than that statement. Now I'm, I'm guessing this is a precursor to us playing the talk at audio because the talk at audio is Yeah, fantastic. I feel like We probably
0: should just to get, it's important full... to ground
1: the yeah. conversation,
0: but let's, let's quickly. Yes.
1: I want to quickly talk about some of what we saw really, really quick. Just the goals. So Detroit is a below average offensive team. 22nd in, in the league in goal scored. They have, they beat the Canucks, what, 11-4 on aggregate? 11-3, I believe. 11 5-2 on Saturday. 5-2 on sure.
0: Saturday
2: and, yeah. and, and 6 6-1 yesterday. Six-
1: yesterday. Was it 6-1? Six- yeah. My goodness. So, 11-3 in aggregate across two games. Dylan Larkin was so by far the best player on the ice last night, it was wild. Like, truly, Puck following him around like a hopeful poppy. He was all over the ice, skating through the Canucks like they were lightly microwaved butter, and he was a steak knife. It was brutal. Like the Canucks did not have the speed on a team level to contain him. He accentuated this team's biggest flaw, which, biggest flaw all season, which has been their inability to defend off the rush, and did so repeatedly. The power, the first goal he scored, you know, the the Oliver ekman Larson pinch, the OEL Shen pairing had a brutal night, like a really tough evening, and then the second one, where he cuts past Oliver ekman Larson, and then JT Miller loses the battle mm-hmm. down
0: low, and there's three Canucks below the goal line, basically. There are. There's not like no no exaggeration. There are yeah. three Canucks below the goal line on the penalty kill. And there's one Red Wing below, below the gold line, and he's the guy who gets the puck. As and they makes go play with it. toe with yeah. toe. Yeah. I mean, wild,
1: wild stuff, right? And, you know, I saw you make the point on Twitter, you know, these aren't young guys. No, this isn't 22 year olds like, oh, you, you they're learning in the
0: NHL. This was brutal, inexcusable. And on, and on this roster right now, how many guys would you say, check both of these boxes, young and inexperienced, and could expect to be a core or a really important piece on the next really good Canucks team. It's one, Vasily Podkolzin. That's it, pretty much. That's it. That's who we're talking about, about like young guys with upside that need to learn the game. Well, and so the third goal, the 3-1 goal,
1: because the Canucks make it 2-1. Nice pass by Connor Garland, by the way. We're damning with faint praise, and we are. That was a nice play. It's like a down-low shift, and Detroit's been controlling for a bit, and Vasily Podkolzin... Is the low forward. Like playing with, what, Miller and Garland, like a couple of vets. It's Pod Colson who's checking like a center. Miller's not in the same area code. And and it's not the first shot that goes in. It's a rebound. Mm -hmm. It's like rebound all alone. And I I think it was Rasmussen. Come on. Come on. That absolutely hung Colin Dealey out to dry. And then you've got the – was the fourth goal the delayed penalty goal?
0: Uh, no, that was the fifth. No, that was, that was, the, that was the sixth goal, I believe. The oh, one my goodness. Were really I'm, just... like, losing track. Yeah. What was the fourth? The fourth goal was, like, the jam play. Okay, whatever. That was yeah. the goalie. And then the fifth goal was
1: the, the line change. The
0: oh, brutal, brutal line oh. change.
1: And that's just a team-level error. Unbelievable. And then the sixth goal, like, you know, the extent to which Andre Kuzmenko got walked – before Detroit drew the penalty up high. You know, it was like the hopeful puppy following Larkin around was put on a leash. Like, my goodness, he got walked. It was wild. And then at that point, Detroit just started playing with their food. Like, it's a 5-1 game. I don't think the Canucks are fully dialed in. I'm not sure they had enough pride there. Because they just got seamed multiple times. I just wanted to go over all this because it's in this context that Rick Tockett... Who, by the way, is still like relatively blameless for this, but that's gonna change in a hurry.
0: Oh, I would say he's pretty much entirely blameless.
1: Yeah. Really. But but my point is not that he is that not whether that's debatable or not. It's that a month from now that's not gonna be the case. Right. Right now, Rick Tocket can see this, throw his hands up and be like, Oh man, the enormity of this task. I wish we had more practice time. Which he stopped himself from saying last night. But soon it's gonna stop. Like soon it's gonna be on him. I'm sure he's not looking forward to that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I wouldn't be. Anyway, let's roll. Yeah, the there's picks. lots to get into. So here's uh, what Rick Talkett had to say after the game last night.
2: I thought the fourth line bought in. I thought they were good tonight. Um, obviously, we had a bunch of guys that had tough nights, but we had no st- uh, stop and start in the game. Our defensive zone, there's just no stop and started. Like we gave in. You know, I thought the power play. If we score there couple of goals maybe we tie it when we get some energy we had some energy there a little bit when we had possession but we we just weren't gritty enough you know the wall work the value the little things and uh you know we're gonna have to keep uh stripping this down until we get it right
3: i know it's early right but is there a bit of a frustration level on your part because you keep talking about the things they need to do and just not seeing
4: it consistently enough
2: well yeah obviously you know it's not frustration it's just like you know, it's my job, the coaches, to, to make these guys understand stuff. You know, um, We're going to practice tomorrow, and we're going to have to go back to grade school on how to defend and how to stop and start because uh, too many guys are spinning. Um, very high-risk team. You know, I thought we, in the road trip, we thought some parts of our game. I thought we got it, but then uh, you know, we get this high risk, and um, you know some of the better players tonight, you know, they were just too risky for me.
1: I know it's only been eight games, but this is the 25th time that this team surrendered five goals or more yeah. in a game. Does that surprise you based on what you're seeing?
2: That, that we've surrendered on I me? Mean, not really. I mean, it's been like that all year. It's, uh, you know, I thought we chipped away a little bit, but, uh, you know, bad habits come back. Um, but you you, you got to take pride in defending. you got to take pride in blocking a shot or getting the puck out and, uh, and a stop-and-start game. Um, yeah, you got that pride.
4: This one was obviously better than Saturday, but still, it's a one nothing game, in the final minute of the first, and their only power play they score um, all season. I mean, the penalty kill at sixty five percent. Do you think with this personnel that you guys can make a dent and, and improve this?
2: Yeah, I, I know. I, I thought in the, this road trip our penalty kill. I know there's the stats lie, but I thought we were coming there. Um, we're trying to get some other guys to penalty kill. But, you know, we had the puck on our stick. We didn't get it out. I mean, that's just, you know, it's not system on that play. It's got to – it's gritty. Get it out, you know, and then uh, you leave a guy back door.
1: What's the, what behind the decision do you have? Did you just have you take the penalty shot?
2: He had to pick somebody on the ice. So, you and, ever seen that? and I thought he's been working hard, so why not?
1: Excuse me. Have you ever seen that rule before in practice? What's that? The last-minute delay-of-game penalty shot?
2: Maybe, yeah, a long time ago. I can't even remember. Yeah, yeah.
4: yeah. You talked a few times on the road trip about third periods and line changes and all that. What happened on that 5-1 goal?
2: (laughs) Yeah. uh, It's, uh, you know, that's one thing I thought we were were good at the last six games. We were getting better at short shift lengths and body language, but that was obviously not good. Um, Yeah, not sure what people were thinking on that play. I don't, have, that, I don't have an answer for you on that one.
1: Rick, granted, your team's been trailing a fair bit, and it's a small sample of games, but it feels like there's been six games where, results aside, your team's mostly controlled play five on five, and then you've got Seattle, and then you've got tonight. Yeah. How do you sort of deal with a, a team where, you know, they're capable of one thing, but clearly they're capable yeah. of this
2: too? Well, it's hard to be consistent. It's hard to win. It's hard to – be part of the process it's hard to stop and start and we just like I said we have got to strip it down and we got to just you know make people understand how important it is to do these hard things to win it's a start from the first goal you know uh throwing a puck away and we give a you know their best player a breakaway to start it's it's you know we talked about it um we had a good practice you know half decent practice yesterday but, uh, you know, it just that, the ball starts right there, you know. Then you get some guys get frustrated, smash and stuff, which, you know, no more smash and sticks and stuff. They, like you can't be entitled in this game. It's, it's, a, it's a hard game to play and we got to stick together. Um, that's just the way it is. That's what teams do, good teams do.
0: When you World talk about... to you
1: at all, that's but,
2: right.
0: you wouldn't like this game no matter when it came. Yeah. But it came after a road trip where, he, as you said, you did a lot of good things. It just seems like a big step back
1: tonight. Is that harder to take at this stage? You've been here almost
2: three weeks. Well, it's a learning lesson for me because you can say, okay, we had six and four, but you know, other teams go through the same thing. That's why structure, discipline, you know, leadership, they get you through these games when you just maybe don't have your best. You know, I know some guys maybe didn't have their legs. If you don't have your legs, then you've got to play smart hockey. You know, you have to, you know, don't chase the game. Don't have 2D below the hash marks on a play, like you got to be smart. Um, you know, everybody has duds, don't get me wrong, and we, you know, obviously we've had our share uh, over the, this year, but you you got you to win those games when you just don't have your best. You know, you've you got to pack it in. We've we got to protect the guts of the ice, and that's like tomorrow Tomorrow practice is, is going to be a protect the guts type of practice. We have to. It's uh, too many of those cross-ice passes. I've seen a lot of them this year.
1: Rick, when you say strip it down, sorry, just what specifically do you mean
2: in terms of work? Well, just, you know, we're going to have to go through. You know, like I said, I'm not going to complain a bitch about We haven't had any practice time, but we really have to. It's like basically almost go through walkthroughs. You know, when the puck is here, you've got to be here. And then when it goes over here, you've got to be here. We have to really almost go to that. You know, I've done it before. I've been with coaches. I've done it before sometimes, and I think it helps. It's got, it has to help this team because um, – and plus, I think when guys get tired, they kind of shut their brain off, right? And um, you gotta have—I call it break the seal. When you're tired, you still gotta be—you gotta be in. You still gotta be focused. And I think sometimes when guys are tired, they just kind of, well, I'll just you know, I'll spin here, I'll go here, and you just can't have that. You just can't have it.
0: That's Canucks head coach Rick Talkett from yesterday after his team lost six-one against the red wings and i mean boy there's a lot to dig into there the two things that jumped out and we can take them one at a time here were the we have to go back to grade school on how to defend how to play stop start and then he elaborated a little bit on that and, you know we're literally going to do walkthroughs and if the puck is here you have to go here they're on the ice right now at rogers arena practicing so we'll see if we get uh, updates on how grade school is going at some point point. and then the other one that stands out uh, to me and again there's lots to get into there but the no more sna- smashing sticks and stuff like that because you can't be entitled in this game and we have seen i, I know people immediately read that as perhaps a shot at JT Miller because we know you know his penchant for emotion uh on the ice passion i, I don't okay it's okay, always passion okay uh well sure passion emotion whatever Sorry, but whatever we, you need to, call we need
1: to we need to we need to be very clear JT Miller's not angry he's passionate okay um sure hey <laughs> That's what the team says
0: every time it comes up. We're going to stick with that. But Passion. I don't know. He's it's,
1: pacing himself.
0: He's not the only guy who has done that this year. And no, not wasn't the guy doing it last night. So I don't think he was definitely not the guy. I think doing JT it last Miller night. is included in that, but I don't think it's fair to say talk it no. is singling out I, JT. Miller. I don't think that was the play. I don't I think the the
1: incident he had in mind and it was uh, it was Oliver Ekman Larson in the third period deeply frustrated coming back to the bench broke his stick, part of it stayed on the ice, and then at the next stoppage, Riley Stillman went and picked it up. And And there was a funny moment where Riley Stillman had picked up the broken shard of ekman Larson's stick, and Miller skated over and talked to him. And I thought to, thought in my head, just like joking, I was like, you know, the broken stick aficionado like wanted to test the form, like see <laughs> the form. <laughs> but truly, like, no, it was absolutely,
0: I think it had nothing to do with JT Miller. Nothing at all. Like, I don't think Miller was even in his head when he said it. No, that's fair. I mean, I'm just thinking, I, the question for me would be, is Tockett basing it just on last night, or is he basing it on what he's seen in his first eight games? Well, it's, right? it's like the
1: shift change stuff, the body language stuff, the way you carry yourself, right? Like, there's clearly
0: an emphasis on that I think there's an Talk emphasis it. on, like, pride and professionalism. Right?
1: Oh, my goodness. But isn't a,
0: isn't that how you would read things like, hey, you have to have the right body language. You can't be smashing sticks. You can't be entitled. Talk about grade school. <laughs> but seriously, how else, were, how else are we supposed to read that? And S- to, sit
1: up straight or your be, posture will be to bad. To be
0: fair, when you see that line change, like, yeah, I would be harping about pride and professionalism as, professionalism as well. Yeah. Because there was none of it. No. There was none of either of those things on that line change. Well, and there was a neutral zone giveaway,
1: too, that, you know, played a role. Um, anyway, I want to be clear there, you know, there's, there may not be any entitlement in the game of hockey, but there definitely is in our studio. We're, we're allowed to be entitled. Okay. You're entitled to your opinion. I'm entitled to mine. <laughs> you're entitled to say what's up. That's right. I am. Yeah, but that's only cause you're passionate. <laughs> I'm so passionate. <laughs> Smashing my microphone after the show all the time. <laughs> um, it sounded shades of Seattle, right? Like when the Canucks get really beat down bad. Clearly, talk it takes it personally. Yeah. I
0: like it. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. I like the honesty. I think it's tough because, and I was listening to the post game show and, you know, seeing what the fans had to say on Twitter and stuff last night, and there is obviously a real appetite for that kind of language from the coach, and I completely understand that. It's tough, though, because, and as you were alluding to, you know, I was making this point on Twitter as well. Like, okay, great strip this down to the studs, rebuild how these guys are playing defense, take them back to grade school, do all of that, go right back to the very basics. I have no problem with any of that. I get it. But how much is it actually going to change things? Like, how much is that actually going to do at this point? Because you look at, like, these are NHL vets, Drancer. Like, OEL has played 900 NHL games. Luke Shen has played more than 900 NHL games. Tyler Myers creeping up on 900 games in the NHL. JT Miller creeping up on 700 games in the NHL. Like Brock Bessers played 370 games in his career at this point. These are not guys who are just kind of learning the ropes in the NHL. If, if, if they don't have the basics of fundamental defensive play at this point. Oh, forget fundamental, fundamental defensive play. How about
1: body language during line changes and how you carry yourself as a team? I mean, you know, all of it is just grist for the mill for the like why the 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 big hanging why question which is why wouldn't you rebuild considering this is your group like what especially in a world where alvin didn't buy the boudreaux bump and didn't buy the bubble mm-hmm. then why is there so much reticence to change things up why every time we get to a deadline like oh, we can't possibly enter this season with both J.T. Miller and Bo Horvat expiring. Oh, we can't possibly trade both Bo Horvat and Andre Kuzmenko. Like, why? Why? Why, if your coach is focusing on things like body language during line changes, basic defensive pride, and entitlement, is this organization at all committed to this group? Like, it just doesn't make sense. And that, to me, is... Like, is anyone even enjoying watching this group compete together? Forget the results. Just Who? like. No, I, I haven't talked to
0: anybody. <laughs> Have you? No, seriously. <laughs> Have you talked to anybody that's excited to sit down and watch a Canucks game uh, right I, now? But but like, more, not excited to watch a Canucks game right now, but like,
1: believe that this core group can figure it out, are enjoying the journey this group is on. Like, text into the 650, 650 inbox, let us know, and let us know why. Like, I'm curious to know. I mean, because because my – and, you know, I'm dispassionate about it a little bit, but also, like, I'm just watching this looking for any signs of, like, is there something here? Am I missing something here? And sometimes I reexamine it. During the Boudreaux bump, I re- reexamined it a ton. And I kept coming back to the same, like, nah, I don't think so. I just don't think they can move the puck well enough. You know, I, don't, I just don't think they're fast enough. I just don't think the habits are there, and I think that'll be exposed when the goaltending turns. And, you know, I'm just curious to – Boy has it, by the
0: way. Yeah, yeah the goaltending has turned for sure. <laughs> <laughs> <Woo>. um, <laughs> we have the full goaltending spectrum over the last two seasons. Let's let's quickly note too that
1: you know on a day that Spencer Martin clears waivers today, mm-hmm. by the way, mm-hmm. um, you know I, I thought there was a chance he might get claimed just because there's so many goalie injuries to Ontario teams, for example. Neither decided to claim him. Second year is obviously a, probably a big part of that. But like, is that game worse? If Martin's in net? No, no.
0: I was thinking about, you know, the... If Demko's in net, is there one extra save made? The, uh, yeah, probably. Maybe two? Yeah, maybe two. It's it's like, I can't wait for them to start losing that game 4-1 instead of 6-1. That's going to be a big improvement when Demko gets back to top form.
1: Like, I just don't know, I don't know if, you know, God Almighty himself would have preserved a chance for the Canucks to win that game given the
0: state of their defensive coverage. I was definitely thinking, like, watching that game. Man, how could Spencer Martin do this to the Canucks? <laughs> how could he let them down like this? Uh, last thing is that there was
1: one moment of the game where there was energy, and it was the power play chance in the second mm-hmm. period where JT mm-hmm. Miller moved to the net front, and you had Brock and Patterson cooking at the half-wall, old-school style. Like, like it was October 2019 all over again at Rogers Arena. One thing that really has impressed me, like I used to say this about the Boston Bruins, more like circa 2019 than than of late, but it still applies, which is that there's something about that team where their eyes widen while they're like back-checking, like trying to force a neutral zone turnover and you get this level of energy from mm. the Bruins where they're as committed to doing that as other teams are when they get a power play chance. And it's like when when you have guys... Carrying themselves like they're in a primo offensive opportunity, but to do grunt work—that's when you start to be onto something, right? Like that's when you start to, um you know, suck diesel. And Vancouver only gets it five on four, and I just—that's so instructive. That's when to their me. eyes that's, light up. That's so instructive to me about. You know, we talk about the organization, and we like to talk about identity,
0: and what is it? It's like, that's it. Actually, you know what? The other time I would say you do see it sometimes, which I think is also damning, is when they're down, like, four goals, and the other team is just kind of checked out. And that's right. like, oh, let's get a little fake comeback going, guys. There's, some, there's a lot of open ice there. Let's wow. score some goals. No, seriously, though. No, I, wouldn't you say that's when their eyes light I'm, up? I think that's a little harsh. <laughs> uh terry and richmond says the only people enjoying this are people who take the over just waiting for it to hit uh mike and willoughby i'm not enjoying it but i can't look away tires on fire are fascinating uh justin on Texada island anyone excited about this core group is sadomasochistic which i think you just mean masochistic <laughs> i don't know if you can combine the two like that yeah I, you can i guess you can yeah it's a per- yeah th- that's a common thing all right, sure. Isn't one one is enjoying inflicting pain to yourself? One is like sadism is inflicting pain to others. Yeah, masochism is inflicting pain to yourself. So I think if you're enjoying watching it, it's just masochism. You're not inflicting pain on any, anyone else. No, I, I don't want to get into this. No, on air right we now. don't. We don't have to get into this on air. We do not.
1: <laughs> Happy Valentine's Happy Day. Valentine's Bring Day. Bring your everybody. whip
0: uh keep those texts coming in 650 650 lots more to get into we'll see if we get any sort of update uh, and audio from practice that we can play at some point i want to talk a little bit more about oel too because that was one of the takeaways of the game uh for me last night so keep your thoughts coming in more canucks talk coming up sportsnet 650
3: The most comprehensive Canucks coverage in the city. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Dratz live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DumbarLumber.com. You got a Champions League update you want to pass along? You're, I see you gesticulating over there. Uh, they
1: elbowed Harry Kane in the face oh. on a on a cross
0: and no call. How Hopefully dare they. VAR intervenes here. How dare they? Uh, Ludicrous. 650-650, as I said. You know, you you threw it out there. Is anyone enjoying watching this? Uh, and a couple have come in along these Lines. Uh, This one unsigned. I look forward to the games because I'm on Team Tank, and every single game propels the team towards the bottom of the standings. It's great. Another one unsigned. I am not passionate about watching the Canucks right now. I am more excited to see the teardown and how the team will look for future seasons. Future seasons. Hashtag tank for Bedard. Yeah, and seasons. Sure. Why not? Um, Hashtag tank for Bedard. And (sighs) I mean... (laughs) They are, as the texter said, they are being propelled towards the bottom of the standings right now. They are significantly outpacing my expectations as a... I believe to hit... I, I did the math last night. To hit 80 points, they would have to play it at a 100-point pace for the rest of the season. Now. Wow. Just to get to 80 points. Yeah, that's good. So, like, crazy. they're locking in a pretty dismal record right now. The teams above them are starting to separate. Uh, they're... Like, Arizona is only a couple of points behind them. San Jose is one point behind them. I wouldn't bet on them finishing below either of those teams. But, you know, the longer you go and the fewer points you bank, the more stuff like that starts to become uh, a significant possibility. But the interesting thing to me with the, you know... I, I mean, their their point projection has lost
1: seven points across the last three weeks, right? Like, it's been a very significant fall. Uh in Dom's model, anyway, right? Like mm-hmm. they are, they are trending rapidly toward the the gap. When me and Dom modeled it, and I wrote that I thought it was too late for them to tank, we were doing all sorts of things like shutting down Demko for the season, mm-hmm. and on and on. And we couldn't get the Canucks below about seventy nine projected points. Um, we couldn't get them to within ten points of the San Jose Sharks. Uh, they're currently projected to finish four points north of the Sharks, so. Uh, I mean, they're they're doing like better than I could model hypothetically a month and a half ago, and I tried.
0: Yeah, they're they're making the top five conversation like not ridiculous, not not like the odds on bets, but it's not ridiculous now they, to be watching that. They're trending toward like they
1: have a now now a thirty percent shot of finishing seventh in the Pacific because the Sharks are the team that they're most likely to chase down here. Yeah, and that would be huge. Like at the end of the day, the difference from a if you're. If you're laser focused on the possibility of Bedard, right? The difference between where they're at now and where they're, you know, passing San where Jose they or, or passing yeah. San Jose and holding off Montreal is two or three percentage points. Not not significant. Right? It's not doesn't make a huge difference. The key though is that it's not about Bedard, and we've said this a million mm-hmm. times, but it's worth reiterating. If you get Connor Bedard, like don't get me wrong. That would be unbelievable. <laughs> That'd be pretty good. Is the best <laughs> It's the best hockey prospect in in Western Canadian history. Forget Vancouver history. Like to come out of Western Canada, there's never been a prospect at this level in hockey history. And don't tweet me about Paul Korea and and Joe Sakic. Those guys went on to Hall of Fame careers, but as prospects. prospects, they weren't, you know, uh demolishing their their peers at quite this level. Um But it's it's about more than him. It's about the chance of picking in the top five without needing to win the lottery. Right? You win one of the lottery sort of draws. That's great. You get Bedard or Fantilli, either a six foot two centerman who's the fastest skater in the draft, Mm -hmm. or a generational sniper from North Vancouver who, you know, cried when the Canucks lost the Stanley Cup final in twenty eleven. Both both would be phenomenal. But there's also Leo Carlson, right? There's also uh, Matt Vay-Michkov. Um, there's also, you know, Zach Benson, right? Like, staying in the top five is massively valuable for any team. And, and and if you go look at the probability, like, your probability of landing a star player in the top five versus five through ten drops like 30%. Yeah. Historically, right? Your, your chances of drafting an NHL player drops by a similar margin, although... There, you're looking at more like 100% versus... seventy yeah, percent yeah, that kind of thing. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it would be huge for the Canucks, particularly in this draft class, to stay in the top five because there are absolutely four, but really there's you know five or six guys that are just extraordinarily high-end players, like would for sure be top three picks in a normal year. And some of them, like multiple ones of them, would be first overalls. So for example, if you... Had the Slavkovsky or Mitchkov either
0: are like first overall caliber prospects. One, so is Leo Carlson. If you
1: had, if you had last year's Slavkovsky, Mm -hmm. Nemich, Cooley, Shane Wright draft class, like you know, all of the all of the big four plus probably Benson would have been in the mix to like the first four would have been for sure going, and then probably get Will Smith and Zach Benson very much in the discussion with Slavkovsky, Wright, Cooley. Like, that's how strong this draft class is. So even drafting fifth is like having a first-round pick in, you know, maybe not a above-average draft year, but
0: in an average draft year. And I think the thing for me, I mean, one, it's the draft lottery discussion, obviously, with Bedard and the other guys that you're well, talking about. Well, that's now the Stanley Cup. But for, for Canucks huge. fans, that's the Stanley it, Cup. Huge stakes. Like, I'm legit looking at the next eight games on the schedule before the trade deadline. And, you know, okay, hey, New York, that's a tough game can you find a way to lose to Philly at home on Saturday night? Like, that's a big game. Can big you, swing. You, you got to make sure you lose that game in St. Louis next week, right? And it's like, oh, and then you've got four really tough games after. Like, I'm I'm gaming out the schedule in terms of losses, as you would normally do for a playoff race down the stretch for a team, looking at it like that. But even beyond just the actual lottery percentages, the other thing I'm watching in terms of, you know, fans rooting for losses and, and team tank and all that is now that – Patrick Alveen and Jim Rutherford have their guy behind the bench. How much do, do these types of performances that we saw last night take on more meaning for them, right? Does it become now impossible for them to just say, well, we need to play with more structure. We need to have a certain coaching style in place. And does every loss like this push the needle more towards a significant drastic rebuild? And I know we've heard, you know, hey, we need we need major surgery. But we've also heard mixed messaging. On that, And I think the thing that I'm watching is, now that it's Rick Tockett delivering the diagnosis of, I can't believe these guys are playing this way, and (laughs) it's shocking to me, and we have to take them back to grade school, does it really, you know, there's always been this idea of Canucks fans rooting for losses because it's going to finally push the team to rebuild. And I wonder now, with Rick Tockett in place, does that become more of a reality? Does every loss actually meaningfully push the needle more in that direction? I think... If we keep hearing from Rick Tockett like that and we keep seeing performances like that, I think that becomes a really interesting discussion. And then you're potentially set up to see dramatic moves, maybe not by the trade deadline, but in the summer that really reshape what we're talking about with this franchise. So that's the other kind of side of rooting for losses, quote unquote, down the stretch here. Well, that's what I couldn't stop thinking when cause that that Alvin
1: quote was ringing in my ears. The one delivered to Ian McIntyre a mm-hmm. fading fading the analytical impact of winning in the bubble, right? Like, I couldn't get that out of my head while watching the game because all I was thinking was, you know, this management group group knew enough to say that they were skeptical about the Boudreaux bump Canucks, Mm -hmm. right? I don't think it's an unreasonable opinion to say that the success that the Canucks enjoyed enjoyed in the bubble was unsustainable. I thought it was likely to be unsustainable. Do you remember all the Blackhawks comparisons that were being thrown around?
0: Look, let's just, just... I was fading those at the time. Just zero in on the Vegas series. Yeah, they got outshot by 100. They were phenomenally outplayed in that series. It wasn't close. And like, they were not a peer team of Vegas in that no, series. No, not no, even close. No, not even close. Although it
1: did go down to the wire because that's playoff hockey. Yeah. Um. Anyway, sorry. The You get back to it, though, right? You get back to, like, first of all, the bubble team never got a chance to show if they could sustain it or not. Anyway, that team was fundamentally torn asunder.
0: Th- those are two different, yeah, conversations
1: for yeah. me, though. You well, know what I, I, mean? I, I could have been, and what actually happened, and, and what it means. You know what I mean? Like yeah. to me,
0: it's a different conversation. Well,
1: and I'm getting, and I'm, I'm losing the plot. The, okay. the my, my focus should stay on this, which is that they knew enough to say that they didn't believe in the Boudreau bump. Right? They now know enough to say that hey, the, the bubble playoff run, they don't wait particularly heavily. But there's a difference between being like, hey, you know, that wasn't real and acting on it, mm-hmm. right? It's like it's like they hedged almost, right? They thought the Boudreaux bump might not be real, but in case it is, let's find some penalty killing forwards to address one of this team's biggest weaknesses. And let's extend JT Miller so that we're at least positioned to keep this group together. Like, that's what they did this summer. And then let's supplement with some, you know, younger role players who can maybe be more for us than they have been for other teams. Yep. Like, that 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 was what they did. And at the end of the day, actions speak louder than words for an organization. And, and what Alvin and Rutherford have told us with their actions is, in fact, not that they're skeptical of the fleeting moments of success that this team has had, but, in fact, believe that and there's at least a chance – that this team can punch above their weight, that they're better than people think. And they're not. And and so for me, the stakes of the balance of the season is like,
0: trust what you're seeing. Yeah. And, my, and, my, and maybe you need to see it with talking. That's at the what I'm wondering, right? Does that almost remove like the last possible shred of deniability? You know right. what I mean? Now that you have your guy, And you have that relationship where you're having the communication with him and you're hearing what he's telling you and you believe it, you buy into it because he's your handpicked guy. Look, it shouldn't have come to that to see it. No. But will that be the case? That that's kind of the last thing they needed to have in place to really buy into the idea that this group's just not good enough? So, So trust what you're seeing now and act on it.
1: Like, the time has come to act on it. You know? People like to say things like, rebuilds take forever and they don't guarantee anything. But I'm I'm very serious. You can't find a Stanley Cup winner since the Pittsburgh Penguins' first cup 20, 20, 2009, mm-hmm. okay? And for me, that's, like, the demarcation line of, like, the Pittsburgh Penguins were the first cup winner built entirely in the hard cap era. And it, it dovetails nicely because Sidney Crosby's rookie year was the first yep. year in which the, the salary cap was imposed. The hard salary cap was imposed on the league. So it's, like, a nice round way of looking at it. You wouldn't call the Carolina Hurricanes, like, they won in the hard cap system, but they weren't built in the hard cap system. Same goes for Anaheim. Same goes for the Detroit, Detroit Red Wings, obviously. But the Pittsburgh Penguins were wholly built. That team made so many first overall picks, it's wild. Like, Stahl was a second overall. Yeah, top of the draft but, picks. But Malkin. Malkin Flurry, Crosby. And they, ha- they had the ad- additional one, like a defenseman, who they ended up trading. It might have been Whitney. Yeah, it might have been. But, yeah, and then Stahl was top of the draft as yeah. well. So, who they traded for Kunitz. So, it's like, you know, but but every team since then has made four or five to- in the top ten. Right? Now, there's some qualifiers there, like um, the uh, Boston the, Bruins. Yeah, but with Tyler Sagan. With that's Tyler kind of Sagan the and Dougie Hamilton. Yeah. That's the asterisk. Yeah. But even even without that, there's two years in which they were clearly rebuilding. Mm-hmm. Right? Right? the washington capitals made 3 in the top 5 and then and then sort of w- lower in the 10 like mo- really it could be four four of 5 years in the top 5 with the exception of the capitals like the capitals sort of ruin it and the bruins sort of ruin it all the other teams are like a mess of not even just top 10 picks top 5 picks for for the most part right cuz the the Capitals had the Alsner, Backstrom, Ovechkin run, mm-hmm. but then they were sort of sliding a little bit further because Ovechkin was so good and Backstrom was so good that they got good really quickly. But Chicago, Saint, even St. Louis, like people forget how aggressively St. Louis rebuilt, even though they duffed their first overall pick on Eric Johnson, but it's like... Oh, actually, sorry. I think the Blues are another team. That well, the might... Blues also have
0: Alex Petrangelo. It was the third overall pick, I
1: believe. Well, for sure, and yeah. they have and they have other guys who are picked like they're not star players, but they were picked higher than you remember. Like James you know Schwartz was, I think, top ten. I want to yeah. say no, maybe not. But. Anyway, the I, I remember looking at it, but the fact is is that all these teams draft high and repeatedly, and that like at some point, that's what you have to do. There's no way to do this, and and it's frustrating because. The obvious rejoinder to this is, well, the Canucks drafted in the top 10, four or five years when they got Yulevi, Vertanen, Pedersen, Hughes. And that's fair, but they didn't build enough talent. They didn't build enough of an army and they short circuited their ability to accumulate by pulling out of it too quickly and by signing just like a mess of brutal, like really bad contracts that have set them back, that have really crushed them here. Um, yeah, so the blues, sorry, the blues are an exception, um, as well, but they, uh, they, in the years that they don't qualify, they made three first round picks, (laughs) um, and two first round picks. So the, 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 uh, they have two top 10 in five years, Mm -hmm. but then in the other two years, they make five total first rounders. Yeah. Oh, and actually they traded down in two of them. That's why they, that's why I still count them. The, the Lars Eller they actually traded the ninth overall pick for Logan Couture, so they're actually not an exception. Those are trade downs that they use to accumulate additional picks. So yeah, I mean, at some point the system dictates one path that's built just about every Stanley Cup contender we've seen for fifteen years, and like, it's it's time. Like I don't know, I don't know what else. I'm going to I'm gonna be hoarse from screaming this from the <laughs> rooftops, but it feels like the arguments against this are
0: fading pretty quickly here, right? Yeah, you would have to think so. You would certainly have to think so. And especially, again, when it's their coach delivering the message. Yeah. I don't know how you resist uh, hearing it and, and really internalizing it and acting on it at a certain point. Uh, it's Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650. You mentioned uh, bad contracts, sewering the Canucks when they did have that run of picking – in the top ten for a bunch of years, in close proximity there. A uh, speaking of bad contracts, Oliver Reckman Larson. We all know wow, it's a very was inefficient a, that was contract. A cruel transition right there. I mean, what are you going to do? Like, what are you going to say? That was a really. He's had some poor performances this year. I thought that one really stood out last night. And there's obviously this is not the first time the idea of buying out Oliver Reckman Larson has come up. But watching that. I've been kind of on the fence about it because I am so hesitant to saddle the team with dead cap for that long, right? Like if you buy them out this summer, you're talking about a dead cap it going all the way till 2031. That's a really, really extreme measure that I would be very hesitant to do. But I also look at it, Oliver Ekman-Larsen has four more years left on his deal after this one, and it's not just, you know well, he's being paid like a top-pairing guy, but he's more of a 4-5. Like, I don't think you can win with him playing at this level in your lineup. And so the question then has to be, what are your options to remove him from the lineup? Uh, You're I, not trading him. I don't even know if you can win
1: if he's playing at a second-pair level, and he's far from that at the moment.
0: Very far from that. Yeah. Very far from that. So, Yeah, I, I was
1: asked on the morning show, like, where would he line up on a good team right now? And I'm like, I don't think this is as simple as, like, if you slotted – like, Tyler Myers mm-hmm. – I think there's a world where, in the right system and in the with on the right team, Tyler Myers could be like a contender's answer to Eric Johnson. Okay, right? Like you know, third pair, righty, physical, contributes some offense. Yeah, mobile helps you win. Sure, I think there's at least a world where that's possible. I I don't know if. There, I don't know if that world exists right now for Tyler Myers or for Oliver Ekman Larson. Which is, do you remember when I made the Eric Johnson Oliver Ekman Larson comp last year? I was like, that's the best case scenario for this mm-hmm. club. People got outraged. He doesn't score. It. Eric Johnson doesn't score. It. That's that's what I meant though. Like, just like be playable, even though your deal's inefficient. And I don't, I don't think he's leaping across that bar at the moment.
0: No. And so that's the threshold now where to me you really have to start considering the buyout because there's no other way out of this deal like you're not you're not paying anybody to take it he has a no movement clause anyways you can't send him down to Abbotsford there's no way there's no way around it other than a buyout the question becomes to me when you start to look at it so if they bought him out this summer you're paying 19 million dollars that's a really really significant check to write from an ownership perspective. I would still only do it this summer. Sorry, if, you're paying him $8 million. Well, it's a $19 million buyout, right? Like, that's the cost that, you end up, that, that you're you on the hook for, right? But you're saving oh, yeah. $10 million. For sure. Yeah. But it's... Yeah, it's still an outlay. Right. And so to me, there are clear advantages to do it because your cap it for next year is basically nothing. It's like $150,000. So you open up a massive amount of cap space for next year. I would still only do it if you have commitment from the top to the bottom of the organization of we're going to do this buyout, but we're doing it for future-oriented reasons. We're doing it because we're going to use that cap space and acquire a bad contract and get a first-round pick for taking on that bad contract. If you're doing it because you're going to go out and try to sign all of ekman Larson's replacement on the UFA market, there's no point to doing it. You're just throwing good money after bad at that point. And the thing that concerns me is... One, that's a huge buyout to do, and we know this organization has traditionally been reluctant to do buyouts. And then the to make extreme, it really yeah. worth it, to make it really worth it, you have to do another thing that this team is reluctant to do, which is you know, quote unquote, weaponize your cap and use it to get a first-round pick by acquiring a player on a on another deal that isn't good. So if those two things are in place, then sure, do a buyout. But I'm just not so sure that you're going to get that buy-in, that you're going to be able to sell ownership on one. Paying the cost of buying him out in the first place, and then two, immediately turning around and committing, you know, six million dollars to a player that you don't actually like that much, just so you can get a first round pick.
1: The real problem I think that you bump into in managing this is like this is the last year where it actually really makes sense. So to like me- I think once you pass this year, I'm not I'm not sure that I'd be like hey, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Like, right now, you know, because of the way that the deal is structured, right, you're you're effectively getting, um, what? Uh, sorry, I'm just doing some math in my head, which is always a, a dangerous proposition on the radio. <laughs> $9 million in overall cap benefit, right, in terms of, like, the cost of his penalty in the back end versus mm-hmm. your savings on the front end. You're never getting close to that again. Like, y- you know... In terms of the in terms of the difference, you're ne- you're never coming close. Um, you know, you you might get to like five, f- three, two. Like it really diminishes fast. So the cap logic of doing it requires that you go from far out, but teams are really reluctant to do that for obvious reasons. It's a big cash outlay for a, a guy who's not going to be playing for you. Um, the hit is longer and lasts longer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think. I think it really depends on how how progressively is this franchise even willing to approach accumulating talent and really juking their system if if they're willing to do you know like the the their version of the 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 Kyle Dubas Toronto Maple Leafs rebuild mm-hmm. right if they're going to operate in that sort of manner and do like a, a all in big market spend money on losing, take bad contracts for, for additional assets type rebuild, then it makes sense. But in if you're going to behave conventionally, and this team always, well, this team behaves like a parody of conventional hockey thinking usually, right? It's like they don't do anything creative, but they do the worst possible move version of conventional thinking. Um, If you're going to do that, you're actually just better off just like legging it out and doing it in the last year or two of his deal. Yeah. To
0: me, it would be so you do it. You either do it for, as you said, for those aggressive rebuild reasons this summer, which I have no problem with, but that has to be the reason you're doing it. You can't do it just because, and then, okay, we're going to try to add talent to help us win this year. No, no, no. Do not do that. That would be wild. Do not do that. Or the other date I would look at would be like summer of 2025. So you'd have two years left on his deal. You'd save... Three and a half million on the cap in each of those two years, and then it would be a one point five million hit on the cap. But, but you see, for the two years, you after see that. what I'm saying? Like, you're, oh yeah, it's diminishing returns. but no, it's no, also, but also
1: your net cap benefits four million. Yep. You know, like it's like the net the net cap benefits so minimal, but the dead hit is smaller and shorter. Yeah, but at who that cares?
0: Point. Who cares? Well, that, those are the years that you might actually be trying to
1: win. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> so I guess if you're conventionally rebuilding during uh, Ekman Larson's next two years. Fine, yeah, but I mean that's exactly it, right? Like yeah. that
0: you'd be like, okay, we'll keep him around. We 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 won't spend that money because we're going to be bad these next two years anyway. Then when we're maybe ready to get good, we'll sure. free up a little bit of cap space and we'll buy him out. Look, I'm not saying that's an... there's there's no I mean I there's mean, no awesome solutions the, here. The, the problem the problem
1: is is that if you get to a point where you know you're rebuilding around him anyway, maybe it becomes worth it to you to pay a first rounder to get off the last two years of his deal, a la Patrick Marlowe, right? Yeah. Like that's sort of where you get to is. Can you rebuild around this? And then eventually down the line, it becomes worth your while to pay off, to get off the deal. Um, For me anyway, I think it's, I think it's one you have to consider the accumulation approach, but I just don't have enough confidence in this organization to creatively approach anything. Um, You know, aside from like the game presentation stuff or like really cool warm up sweaters, but hockey wise, you know, it's hard for me to see them it's hard for me to see this organization without a significant change in focus, uh, cons- even considering something as you know, sensible as that.
0: Yeah, it, it, there's a there's a reason to do it. But as you said, I'm just not sure you get the alignment, the buy-in, the, the forward no, thinking it's too to hard. do it it's too hard. with this team. Uh, we'll take a quick break here. Ryan Clark from ESPN is going to join us on the show next. We'll get his thoughts on the Canucks and some of the stories happening around the league as well. Keep your texts coming in. It is Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canuck Stock here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strands. Canuck Stock brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota All-Star team, AvenueMachinery.ca, DouglasLakeEquipment.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintec Studio, Kintec Footwear, and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net 650-650-650 is the Dunbar-Lumber text line, and this one comes in. A couple of variations on this one came in on our OEL discussion. Uh, by the way, Ryan Clark of ESPN is going to join us momentarily here, but this text comes in. Wouldn't it make more sense to retain 50% and trade him? That would be great, but he has a no-move clause, and even retaining 50%, you're still giving up assets to get a team to take all of rekman Larson when he's playing at this level. So yeah, you're th- all- there's so many barriers and obstacles to that happening. I just... I don't really see it as a realistic Uh, possibility right now. buyout should always be a last option because once you do it, you're stuck with that dead
1: space, right? Like you're stuck with it. And that's always uh, a last resort. Um, You know, retention and throw assets in toward the end of the deal, that's like a decent sort of way of going about it, uh, assuming the Canucks are able to get good enough to warrant that sort of expenditure in the years to come.
0: Uh, Now joining us, as mentioned, he is a national NHL reporter for ESPN. Ryan Clark joins the show. Ryan, thanks very much for doing this. How are you?
3: Good, Jamie. How are you? Thank you so much for having me on the Jamie Dodd show. I've never (laughs) heard of your co-host whatsoever. Um, That's that's why I was excited to
0: have you on, Ryan, was that kind of attitude right there. (laughs) Hi, Ryan. <laughs> Tom, it's good to you. Well, welcome
1: people. to the How show. Welcome to the show
0: for the last time. Let's cut him. Let's cut him. We'll go on without a guess. I will say uh, <laughs> our, our producer Lena uh, obviously arranged to have Ryan on the show, and Ryan texted her back and said, uh, can you like can you give me a head, heads up about what Jamie wants to talk about? And he said, I'm not asking about Drance because what Drance says doesn't matter. <laughs> So there you go. You'll so may may not be true.
1: So so Ryan Clark now everyone's favorite Canucks talk guest.
0: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Con-
1: congr- congratulations, bud. You've already sucked up to the audience.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so Ryan, uh, we'll go around the league a little bit, but I do want to start sure. in Vancouver and just. Um, Rick Tockett has has taken over now, obviously, for Bruce Boudreaux. And just stepping back a little bit, you know, I don't want to focus as much on how it happened. We've been over that ground. But what did you think of the choice of Rick Tockett to be the new coach for the Canucks?
3: Well, it seemed like when the decision was made, it was polarizing. Because it felt like on one hand, the general consensus was something needs to happen with that organization, but was it Bruce Boudreaux's removal? That was it. And especially in the last days of Boudreaux, you saw how people, especially fans, felt about this. But yet what you've seen since Rick Tocit to has come in has been some really jarring statements. Let's think about what happened after the loss to the cracking, where he said the team is soft. There's to the go back to grade school. Uh, there's also what he said about, you know, look, you need to reach another level of fitness. Like These are things that normally you don't hear a coach say, That not only is he saying, but he's been really honest about it. And when you hear that, it really makes you wonder, what was the state of this team? What are they now? What can they be going forward? Because just to hear Rick Tockett speak about it, it seems like once he had a peek under the hood, it maybe sounds like there's more there than maybe what people initially thought.
0: And Ryan, when you hear that kind of commentary from Rick Tockett, and really, I mean, they've all expressed it in different ways, but this is the third coach over the last two seasons, going back to Travis Green and then Bruce Boudreau, who has been extraordinarily frustrated with the performance of, you know, a relatively unchanged team here. When you hear it from a third coach like Rick Tockett and, and, you know, so straight up and so honest, is it doesn't it become kind of impossible to escape the conclusion that you need to start over a little bit here and just embrace a rebuild?
3: That's a great way of putting it. Just because like, this is the reality of the Vancouver Canucks. This is a roster that when you look at it, there are pieces that you see and you think this team should be better than, than what it is. But then part of you wonders, are these pieces that maybe would work better elsewhere separately, or do they need to add something to this team to make it work? But when you've gone through this many head coaches, and not only this many head coaches – But this many head coaches in a division in which you've seen Vegas be a playoff team out of the playoffs, they're on top of the division. You've seen the Kings go from they're this burgeoning thing to you look at the Kings now, and depending on what happens at the deadline, maybe that's the thing that pushes the Kings into being really a cup contender because they they are right now, but in the sense of are they one of those first teams people think about, it's hard to say because everyone's criteria is different. You've seen the Oilers go through ups and downs, but they're in a playoff spot. The Kraken last year was one of the worst teams in the league. All of a sudden, they're in a playoff spot now as well. And that's just it. It's like when you're the Canucks with that kind of talent, there's what you have to do. There's the rest of the division. But ultimately, you have to ask that question, what do you do to hit the restart button? And and it was interesting because when the Canucks were playing the abs back in a couple months ago when the Avs were, were in Vancouver, you just talked to people and, and people have brought up the point of like, oh, is this similar, this Tex team similar to that ABS team before they really took off and all that? And here's the thing, with that ABS team, people have said, when you look at some of the players on that ABS team, those are guys that you expect to be out the league in, in a few years, and some of them were. When you look at this Canucks team, there is some talent that you expect to be in the NHL, two, three, four, five years down the road, but it just seems like for some
1: reason the cohesion's not been consistent. Ryan, we hear it a lot from the national commentators, like especially preseason when the Canucks are, you know, occasionally a sexy pick to like surprise people that, you know, you've got some players there. Like what is it that you see from afar that you suspect doesn't fit?
3: what's their identity? Yeah. That seems like the biggest question with the Canucks because sorry, we can stick with the division just because, again, it's a simpler conversation. With the Golden Knights, you know what the identity was there before Cassidy, and now Cassidy's gotten there. It's an identity that when that team is healthy, they can score, they have a defensive structure, and you know that whenever there some questions, they find ways to answer, which is what we've seen with goaltending, what we've seen with players in and out of the lineup. With the Kings, the offensive and defensive structure is there. It's realistically the goaltending, but you know what the identity of the Kings are. You're getting a feel for what maybe the Kraken are. But, again, it's year two, so it's really hard to say definitively other than you know that's a team that aggressively forechecks. They play physically demanding style. And with the Oilers, you know their identity is when McDavid and Dreisaitl are at their best, they're impossible to stop. And while that's a team that has a lot going for it, it's also a team that, again, it has its challenges. When you look at the Canucks, it's hard to definitively say what is the identity of that team other than there's some really alluring pieces, but how do they make it fit? That, that seems like the big thing when you're talking about the Canucks. What is the identity? And it seems like the answer is it, it's hard to figure out.
1: Ryan, you covered an Avs team that and I remember talking to you during the bubble. Um, you know, and there was a dawning realization that guys like Sam Girard were shutdown guys, despite being what five foot nine uh, on platform shoes. Um, how important is m- just simply moving the puck in the NHL at this point, and how much do you factor it into analyzing a team like the Canucks, but any team? Um, you know, whether it's preparing for the playoffs, whether it's just going in to write a feature. Um, how critical is it at this point in the league with the way the game is played now?
3: I oh, mean, it's massively important for some of the reasons you just mentioned, because when we talk about the conversation of shutdown, let's take a guy like Jacob Slavin, for example. How much of that is possession-based versus the different things that he can do? There's a lot of different ways to answer what it means to be a shutdown, but what it comes back to is, what are you able to do with possession, but more importantly, what are you able to do when you don't have it? And when you look at the way this league is trending, and you look at a lot of your successful teams, the majority of them are teams that not only know how to hold on to the puck, but they hold on to the puck in a way to where they really make that possession count. And so the thing is that if you're the Canucks or you're any team, you want to get those players, which is why, again, and Thomas, you and I have talked about this a lot too, When you look at teams drafting defensemen in the first round, we all talk about the puck moving element because, yes, it's important, but they're facilitators who know how to hold on to the puck. Like Quinn Hughes knows how to do that. Adam Fox, Kale McCart know how to do that. There's a thought Luke Hughes could be the next one. Zach Lorinsky, when healthy, is one of those players. Charlie McAvoy. the list just keeps going on and on and on and on, and there is a reason for that. We hear coaches talk a lot about it being a five-skater game. On both sides and the reason why is because possession is more important than ever before because it's what you do with it it's what the other team isn't doing with it and it's also how are you trying to create offensive opportunities at a time when well yes scoring continues to increase as we've seen this year teams are trying to find different ways to score to get scoring depth so possession it seems like it is everything maybe it's always been that way but now that there's more data behind the importance of possession, if you're a team, it seems like that's what everyone's trying to go for.
0: Ryan, with the trade deadline coming up, and we've already seen the Canucks make their big splash, moving the captain Bo Horvat. but there are other names that are in play with the Canucks as well. And, and you know, one I want to zero in on is... Brock Besser, who obviously has had success in the NHL. You know, we all think back to his rookie season and, and the goal-scoring prowess he showed, but the contract makes it uh, a difficult proposition to do in season. What's your sense of where Besser's reputation and profile is around the league? Do people still kind of see him as having that dynamic upside that we saw earlier in his career? And do you think there would be teams that would be willing to bet on that talent kind of reemerging in in a new surrounding?
3: If they could possibly get it for a slightly cheaper price, then sure, because the thought you, you get from people around the league about Besser is this. He is someone that, when he's healthy, he can be a top six, top nine forward. For I mean, he's someone who, again, has been a 20-goal scorer that it comes with the idea of if he could stay healthy through a full season, he could be a 30-goal scorer, and that could go a, a long, long way. But, again, that's just it. It's It's the health and it's the consistency when he's healthy. That's been the big issue. So could there be a market for him? Sure. But when you look at that price tag, but more importantly, you look at, again, how injuries have been a challenge with him in the past, it makes it a little bit of a harder thing to sit there and predict. So, again, staying within the division, let's take someone like Timo Meier. Like, yes, Timo Meier's had to grow into his role, but there also comes a point when you know this is what Timo Meyer is, and it seems like with Brock Besser, it's like you see glimpses of what he could be. But to definitively say, especially at six point six five million over the next two years after this season, that's something that if you're a team with the way everyone's looking at money, you really have to be certain about what you're doing. So like if you were the Islanders going after Bo Horvat or any team going after Bo Horvat, you know what Bo Horvat is. You know he is this Two-way player who scores goals, who can, you know, contribute to your power play. It gives you another leader in the dressing room. And you know the premium that you have to pay for that. And with the Islanders, they were missing some of those things brought, that Bo Horvath brought. And now that he's there, you're starting to see the influence. And that's just it. Is this time of year with that kind of money, there has to be certainty? Otherwise, is that just too big of a gamble to take?
0: In conversation with Ryan Clark, national NHL reporter for ESPN, uh, one of the one of the interesting trends we're starting to see develop around the NHL ahead of the trade deadline, Ryan, is the uh, teams holding out players. Uh, you know, certainly in Jacob Chikrin's case for multiple games for you know trade related reasons. Now we've seen Vladisov uh, Gavrikov uh, be held out by the Columbus Blue Jackets. Is that something we're going to see more and more here? It hasn't really been a traditional tactic in the NHL, but do you think that's uh, something we'll start to see become more common uh, in the NHL?
3: It's possible just because you look at American college football around bowl season, and there are players who are going to be top picks, first rounders who will say, I'm sitting out this bowl game for, for these reasons. And look, if you're an NHL team, it's totally understandable because, number one, this is an important asset. Number two, you don't want to run the risk of a trade not happening because of an injury. And three, it's honesty and clarity about the situation and what's going on. But also it's a a sort of a little bit of a not clearly low-key, but let's just say a little bit more of a subtle way of a team saying they're open for business because, look, we can sit here and we can look at cap situations, standings, rosters, all you want, but we all don't really know what a lot of executives are thinking until they actually speak it and say it. And with the coyotes this is a move that it's a team that's clearly open for business and with what you're seeing with them in columbus look let's be honest i know for this segment we're going to talk about who are teams that need to make a splash at the deadline and so often when we think about these questions it's always what contenders but here is the reality of this it is the teams that are closer to a draft lottery that in some ways have more to gain and more to lose this time of the year because these are the kinds of decisions that can set them up for the next decade or it could leave them wondering what could have been for the next decade.
1: It's a fascinating formulation, and, and you're right. The the seller teams like they're more likely to win the deals, right? But they better make them. They better make them. Um, Luke Shen's a guy who a lot of Canucks fans expect may be available. It's complicated. He's got a family situation that's um, you know demands some additional attention. But right-handed defenseman, cup on his resume. Uh, plays tough, plays defense. W- what do you expect the market to be like for a player like Luke Shen?
3: Well, the big thing is because
1: his cap hit is 850k, that's a manageable,
3: manageable number for a team looking for depth defense. mode. of course, like you said, with his family situation, it's about looking at what's the right fit for all parties involved. But in the sense of what the Canucks could get for a player like that, I mean, clearly a pick. But as for where, who knows, somewhere fourth, fifth round, which, again, if you're the Canucks or any team looking at the future, like, that's exactly what you're looking for is more picks because, again, whether that's something you use at the draft or you use this draft capital later on down the road, it, it's massive just because, again, you, you look at the Canucks right now and let's say they are able to get a fourth-round pick. That would be, what, seven picks in the first four rounds for the Canucks in this year's draft, including two in the first? that's a pretty good place to be along with what would be four picks in the third round alone. So if you're them, that's maybe what the thinking is. That's what you could possibly get, whether it's fourth or fifth round. The point is it's draft capital. And when you hear people talk about what they think this draft could be, and and as you two know, the talent that exists in rounds four and five, again, it's an opportunity to build for the future, which if you're the Canucks, it looks like that seems to be the plan.
0: So I like your, uh, as you were saying, you know, when, in terms of, Which team needs to make a splash? We typically think of the buyers, but as you said, it can be more important for the sellers. So, which team in a selling position do you think has kind of the most pressure to really nail what they do at the deadline in terms of selling off guys coming up here? The Chicago Blackhawks, just because the Blackhawks have a chance to really, really do some damage. So, of course,
3: number one, there's Patrick Kane, number two, Jonathan Taser. You could flip up that order, it doesn't matter. There is Max Domi. Maybe there's some other pieces you could move. But it's also this, too. When you look at the projected cap space the Blackhawks currently have, which Cap Friendly says it's $5.74 million, there are going to be teams that are going to need cap space and a third-party broker to make sure that these things happen. And so if you're the Blackhawks, between where you stand in the race to win the draft lottery, what you could move and get in return for the players we just mentioned – along with the cap space you have, this could be a really, really, really important deadline for the Blackhawks because this could be the kind of thing that sets them up for the future. And that's just it. Is Again, when we talk about the teams that are contending, there's a lot of moving parts, and it's easy to understand why there's so much more interest. But for those teams that are kind of in the opposite end, yes, if you're a fan of those teams, you're probably tired of talking about the misery. But at the same time, there's a lot of moving parts there, too, in the sense of, hey, if you can put this together with your cap space, your assets, and move you know, certain players around, what's stopping you from being where you want to be in three or four years' time?
1: Ryan, we like to play a game with our guests on this program, and, and we call it Give Me Your Tears, and I basically ask you to give me your tiers of usually Pacific Division teams or, or rankings, but in this case, I want to do it this way. Sure. Pacific Division tiers, okay, of the, of the eight teams in the Pacific, Teams to watch, because I want to include both sellers. Like, the Sharks obviously deserve attention as, as they're holding Timo Meyer. Teams to watch, tiers of teams to watch in the Pacific Division ahead of the NHL trade deadline. The Arizona Coyotes. Our number one. Oh, sorry. First. They're in the Central now. That Central, God, yeah, sorry. Yeah, no worries. I make that mistake point, every show. At this point, the
3: Sharks, just because we don't know what's going to happen with Meyer. or What's going to happen with Carlson? And look, with each game, they are getting into that discussion of where could they be in the lottery. They have, what, the fifth-fewest points of any team in the NHL. So Mm -hmm. let's go the Sharks, the Oilers, the Kings, the Knights. Kraken Canucks, you could flip a coin. And then it's strange because like the Ducks clearly have things that they could move, but like what makes the Ducks situation different than that of, let's say, the Sharks and whatnot is this. Like with the Sharks, it's hard to look at that team and say definitively, here's what they're going to be. Whereas if you look at the Ducks and with what they currently have on that roster and what's waiting in the wing with the prospect base, you can sit there and say you can see the vision. It's just a matter of how do you get from point A. To point B. So, again, it's not that the Ducks won't be interesting. They certainly will. But when you look at the Sharks, that's kind of been the, the, the mantra of the Sharks the last few years, which is what are they? Because no one knows. Like, it's a team that's not been consistent enough to be in a playoff position. And until recently, it's not been a team that you really look at as a lottery favorite. In fact, I believe the statistic is this. The last time the Sharks had a top three pick was either 98 or 99. It's been a really long time. <laughs> wow! So if this is the year where it happens, that's something you have to consider on top of all the other different things that they could do before the deadline.
0: Ryan, really appreciate the time. Uh, first time on the show, hopefully not the last. Although I know it means you have to talk to Drance, so uh, we we really do appreciate you uh, putting up with it for us.
3: Oh, I love talking to Drance. I just don't <laughs> like him taking any sort of enjoyment out of it. That's,
1: that's like really the motivation there. Uh, that's i love fantastic. you too my friend good to <laughs> chat with you have a good one ryan thank you likewise take care everyone
0: be well that is ryan clark who does a great job as a national nhl reporter for espn you can follow him on twitter ryan s clark as well and uh yeah endearing himself to uh, our listenership taking some shots at trance no better way for guests to get on the good side of our audience well so i don't remember what ushl team
1: Ryan covered, but Ryan covered US uh, USHL hockey in Fargo, I believe. All right. And I don't remember, so what I don't remember is the Canucks prospect that played in Fargo when, when Ryan was there. It might have been Joseph Labati or someone wow. like that. So we we developed a relationship because he was covering this guy who I'd like profile here and there, you know, a, 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 when I was aggregating over at dot I think Ryan was like interviewed for one of our prospect profile series, stuff like that. And then he was at the Palm Beach Post when I got the Florida assignment. Ah. So, so we go back there, and then, of course, we were colleagues at the Athletics. Yeah. So, so Ryan's someone I go back an awful long way with and is one of the best covering the sport in our business. I
0: uh, I thought it was just an athletic thing, so there you go. I didn't yeah. know it. No, the no, no. no. We history. go way back. Very good. Um, always enjoy chatting with Ryan. Great guest to have on. We'll try to get him on uh, again as the season progresses. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Keep your thoughts coming in. We got a bit of a practice update. A schoolyard scuffle at Canucks practice, we'll talk about that uh, Some lines updates, see if we have any audio A grade school scuffle? (laughs) Yeah, exactly Uh, From from the Canucks practice, that's coming up It's Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650 Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650 Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strands Here with you, Canucks Talk. Live from the Kintech studio, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. So uh, as promised, a little bit of a practice update and yes... The, uh, as, as our guy Batch on the scene says, the grade school defensive walkthrough that talk promised last night is underway, putting the Canucks through their paces in the defensive zone at a very slow, slow pace to show everyone the right spot where they're supposed to be. Uh, the other interesting update, uh, as our guy Batch says, Quinn Hughes, Dakota Joshua, got into a spirited shoving match during a battle drill. Connor Garland got involved too. Hughes was visibly upset. And Rager texts in. That's what sparks the 2019 Blues. We're going to the Cup, baby. <laughs> Look how much it means to these guys. They're fighting in practice. Not even fighting. They're pushing and shoving in practice. H- has
1: anyone? Has any one team ever set back the discourse more than the 2019 than St. Louis Blues?
0: No. Like it's unbelievable. The worst part was you could you knew it was happening as you were watching this great story unfold. You know yeah, what I mean? No, like I you knew that next season. At Christmas, the teams that were in last place were going to be like, oh, but look at the Blues. Look at the Blues last year. And that's exactly, in fact, what happened. And and will happen. happen. And will
1: happen forever. I mean, do you remember the amount of it we got last year?
0: During the Boudreaux bump? I sure do. My goodness. Uh, But no, I don't think this will be the... uh the thing that propels the Canucks on a miracle run here. Chet and Burnaby says, uh, do we get to cross off the fight at practice I box would, on the Canucks? Are Bob we calling Bingo? this a fight? No, it's not a fight. It's a shoving match. If Dakota
1: Joshua had fought Quinn Hughes, that now, would be that's a, very a different, different story. That would be a different story. Yeah. <laughs> now,
0: now, that's a story for sure. That would be Especially amazing. Especially Quinn Hughes. Of <laughs> all people to fight at practice. Uh, but as we, as far as we know, that uh, is not What happened? We'll get any audio that comes in from Canucks practice as it is available. They started at noon, so we'll see. Hopefully we get a little bit in here before the end of the show. We'll get you updated as soon as possible. Other interesting thing, of course, from the practice, a little bit of a line update, a little bit of a shuffle from Rick Tockett. The silly pod Colson. A really little bit. Really little bit. I said little bit. I'm just saying it's a very, very small amount. Uh, sillypod Colson <laughs> moves up to play with Elias Pettersson and Anthony Beauvillier on the top line. Phil DiGiuseppe with JT Miller and Connor Garland. Kuzmenko, Dries, Besser is your third line. Joshua, Oman, Lazar, Stadnika, Locke with the extras, and then the no changes on the blue line. So the OEL Shen and stillman Myers pairings stay together, which are both pretty tough looks. But, hey, you're, you're very limited when you're trying to uh, put a Canucks defense core together, Drancer. Yeah, I
1: mean, I don't know how much more we have to see of Shen OEL. I'd suspect that's going to be something that, uh, like, you know, they can't keep up. Like, I don't know what their their skills in combination make them lesser players than they are individually. Like, Hugh Shen we know works. And at least if you put Bear with OEL, you're going to get a guy back to the puck first.
0: You know, and that's a huge help. Mm-hmm. And so, hmm And Stillman Myers. Oh, there's – that. I mean – There's no, like, defensive solidity there. The issue is they're both kind of the same guy. Yeah. They're yeah. mobile, but they – when you have two guys who are mobile like that but don't have great defensive awareness – they end up kind of being mobile in directions where they're not close to the puck. They're not close to the guys they should be defending. The,
1: the mobility becomes you know, a bug yes. rather than
0: a feature. Yeah, it absolutely does. And there ends up being so much space because those guys are moving all the way around uh, the ice. So, again, look, I mean, look, we all know they're not uh, They're not pulling at all the stops to get two points every night. So I don't want to spend too much time critiquing the way Rick Tockett is putting his defense pairs together. But, yeah, OEL Shen and Stillman Myers – There's not a lot there. There's not a lot of upside there at this point. Uh, 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Keep your thoughts coming in. I won't do a spoiler alert for the uh, Champions League in case anyone is recording it, but (laughs) Trance is very upset at something that just happened on our TVs right now. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, fair enough. Can't be that upset. I'm trying to transition, but Sorry. I'm, I'm just too I'm too entertained. I'm too distracted. We might get a we might get a loud get in. <laughs> yes. We absolutely might. <laughs> that could occur. Absolutely might. Uh but while we wait for um for uh a practice big, a audio big Spurs goal. or or a big Spurs goal to happen here, uh as Timbo Slice texts in, our defensemen have no defensive awareness. Experience Canucks hockey. Yeah, that's that's pretty much where we're at. Uh, at this point with the various defense pairs and what Rick Tockett has to deal with. So we were talking about it a little earlier in the show, the, you know, the race to the bottom feeling a little bit more real for the Canucks right now than it has previously. I, I am curious to see, you know, what just like the next eight games look like here leading in to the deadline, because you've got you know New York who we just saw them lose to last week on the road they've added Vladimir Tarasenko you've got Philly coming up on the weekend who's kind of a peer team but certainly a team that you're maybe worried about sliding back down the standings and interfering with the Canucks on the road in Nashville and St. Louis not world beaters although Nashville has played well recently and then you've got four really tough games uh after that and oh sorry I should say it's seven games before the trade deadline but oh, look, then I, the it, Leafs on Saturday it was feeling real that the Canucks might
1: you know, get really into this bottoming out race, but then Dakota
0: Joshua and Quinn Hughes had a <laughs> shoving match of practice and now all hopes of Bedard out the window. Yeah. That's a, clearly they're engaged, Trancer. They're engaged, you know, they're passionate, as you would say, as you would describe JT Miller, not angry, passionate. They're showing I wouldn't that describe him that. The, the, everyone describes him that way. Every time it flares up, the
1: Canucks line up to call him passionate like i haven't heard the word passionate as much <laughs> like the, since um mel gibson's 1999 press tour <laughs> promoting his movie <laughs> <Are> you- <laughs> absolutely incredible <laughs> great paul great, like, great pull. i think i got the year wrong though it probably yeah, was you a definitely few years did. later you definitely did um but seriously like you know it's it's they we, we like to, don't we don't we usually do that? We find, like, the words that they get used funny, and then we yeah bring sure. them up repeatedly. Bring them up a lot. Just like how I respect you as a teammate. <laughs> because of your passion.
0: Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. No, I'm, uh, I, uh, if we're, if JT Miller's like a 10 on the passion scale, I'm significantly lower than that. <laughs> I, oh. I, I, don't, I don't take it nearly as seriously as JT Miller does. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how many guys do no. at this point. Um... Was there anything else like w- w- the things we kind of keyed on from Rick Talkett earlier in the show, were the you know backed grade school on how to defend, and the no more smashing sticks and stuff because you can't be entitled in this league? Was there anything else that really kind of made you raise your eyebrows and and go hmm as it were when you heard Talkett talk last night after that loss? Um No, not really.
1: Though the, the body language on line changes. Stuck out to me in a major way, because this team has like under Boudreau, and it's not on him; it's on the play. Like, here's the problem, right? Like, you shouldn't need to be told to hustle to the bench on a line change. Nope. Like, you get called out for that in beer league. Come on. Yep. But it it had reached a comical point earlier this season, but and so the but the fact that that's like a point of emphasis under like this is a million dollar uh, multi multi million dollar compensated head coach telling m- 85 million dollars worth of nhl playing talent to not lollygag on their way to the bench like it's mind boggling to me also i can't get over that honestly that, i can't get over it
0: the fact that it's still a talking point this early in a new coach's tenure Right, like this is when you're supposed to be doing. You're hustling. You're doing everything. You're on your best behavior to try to impress the new guy. And last night, that was like some of the worst offenses Uh, in that area we've seen this year. In fairness, he did say they'd been better at it lately.
1: But yeah, I mean, very high bar. I don't know what to tell you. Like it, that's that's
0: tough. It's a tough one. Um, The other thing is, again, as we just kind of continue to speculate about. Where they could end up in the standings, the fact that there is so many moments of like like that where the effort and the professionalism and the pride isn't there that continues to lead me to believe that the floor is very very low for this team. When you combine like the flaws of roster construction with the potential that they just completely disengage and check out like they did in moments last night, like oh, those like, two like, things like together, they did throughout the month of
1: December and January.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, let's be real, like, with
1: with a couple of exceptions. Um, Yeah, I mean, fair.
0: You bring up a good point. Like, that's uh, that's a very toxic combination to have on one team when you have those two things going. Uh, as mentioned, the Canucks wrapped up practice at Rogers. Oh, we got Arena. audio? Yeah, we have from Thatcher Demko. Okay. Well, let's hear from Thatcher Demko. Sure. Returned, was, was part of practice. Of course, Spencer Martin. Uh, Spencer Martin cleared waivers today So he's going to be assigned uh, to AHL Abbotsford, Spencer Martin and Colin Delia Were the goalies, we also have Elias Pettersson, who do you want to hear first? Pettersson or Demko? Demko Benoit yeah, Let's hear from Thatcher Demko uh, This is Canucks goaltender, inching closer to playing We assume, let's hear from him after practice at Rogers Arena
4: Yeah, that's nice, I mean it's been a long time um, Just being around the guys Luckily I've been able to go on the last couple road trips And um, you know Just the camaraderie, going to dinners and you know, being on the plane, whatever else has been really nice. And then obviously a couple skates here with the team last couple of days. It's um, just good to, you know, throw some jabs at some guys and get some too. So, uh, yeah, it's been good.
1: Quote since December the 1st, has it been tougher mentally or physically in this rehab?
4: Oh, that's a good question. Um, maybe a little bit of both for sure. That's um, just kind of the way it goes with the, the longer rehabs. Um, I mean, luckily... In my career, I haven't really had something this long before, so it was definitely some new territory for me. Um, had to work through that a little bit mentally, um, just being patient with it and, and whatever else. So definitely been been putting in the work, both mentally and physically, uh, to get back and uh, feeling really good now. So uh, just keep keep taking it one day at a time like I have been.
1: How excited are you to get back into again? again or nervous,
4: I guess. A bit. Yeah, definitely. You know, There's definitely uh, a little bit of nerves for sure. That's just the, the nature of it. But... Um, definitely excitement for sure. Um, it's been been a long time, so just uh, you know, watching what's been going on here. Obviously, um, we're not getting the results that we want, and you know, when you're on the sideline, it's it's a little bit tougher to swallow that way. So, um, just want to come in and and try to make an impact, try to help the guys out in, in any way I can, and um, you know, kind of go from there. What's the process from here in terms of you know being ready to to get back into a game? What has to continue to happen? Yeah, I mean, it's. For me it's it's kind of a situation where you know you're probably never going to be you know fully confident to come back no matter if you know I took a year to to get ready or whatever it is you know there's always going to be a little bit of um you know some nerves there and um you know making sure that you know you're trusting the process and you know there's obviously scar tissue in the injury but there's also mental mental scar tissue when it comes to to getting back out there so um you know breaking that down obviously helps getting in some team skates and and Some more chaotic looks and um, and things like that. So, but uh, overall, just just really excited to be back. Um, yeah, I think the plan right now is um, you know obviously, bearing nothing else, you know, happens in the next couple of days, I'm I'm looking to back up against Philadelphia um, on Saturday, and then you know at that point it'll be up to, to talk to to see when he thinks I, I should play. You know, at that point it's a coach's decision. I'll be available. So, um, yeah difficult has it been to watch when you last played there was a different head coach and the team has had some struggles and Yeah, be on the sidelines for all that? I mean obviously you know uh, it's always tough losing a coach um, especially when it's a guy like Bruce and you know the last few weeks there I wasn't wasn't able to help out And um, you know at, at a certain point you're playing for, for someone's job um, so I kind of felt you know felt a, a little guilty almost like I wasn't able to help out but obviously this is where we're at now and talk's got a, a plan and, and he's got a new staff everyone's willing to to do what it takes to to get this team moving in the right direction and, and i think everyone's on board with that so um yeah really excited to to get in and obviously i'm still getting to know the coaches uh, the new guys and um it's been been a good process so far
1: Some practice like that dude for you like, like there was a level of intensity there that you know even though you're a goaltender you're not banging out there you're the whole way in terms of finding that
2: confidence in
4: the body yeah i mean i think you know up to this point really like i've seen a couple practice looks but um it's been predominantly just goalie skates and um you know we uh, ian and i we called the jungle you know you, you got to get back out there with guys coming down a million miles an hour and um you know t- trying to take your head off in a sense and uh you know rebounds are flying around and there's traffic guys you know bodies flying through the crease and, and things like that um so obviously, that's that's where you know practices become very very important to to see those things and, and make sure that you're you're definitely ready to go.
2: When we talk about making a change in a goalie's game, we talk about
1: it getting to the point where it's instinctual and you're not thinking about that. Are you going through that process with your body right now a little bit?
4: Yeah, for sure. I think you know up to maybe even earlier this week, I was still you know processing each move, um, and that's that mental scar tissue that I was talking about. Like uh, just being able to trust yourself and, and trust the muscle and trust your um, your biomechanics and things like that to, to know that you're safe and, and whatever else. So uh, today was definitely the best that I've felt as far as that goes. Um thought I, w- I was making a lot of, you know, reactionary saves, uh, desperation saves, things like that. So all that's good for the rehab. It's also, you know, really fun, uh, you know, to get back in those situations as a competitor and uh, as a goalie. The rumor mill runs hot sometimes. That's your yeah, that's on you guys. <laughs> <laughs> anything, but when you hear reports that... Uh You want out You know, it was a little frustrating for me. Um, You know, I'm I'm not even here to defend myself, you know, talking to you guys. I'm out on the sidelines and I start seeing that stuff popping up, but, you know, it's not true. Uh, I'll just say that point blank. Um, I've uh, I've seen uh, a few things, you know, floating around, but, um, you know, I've I've never said that, not even to my wife or or anyone, you know, close to my circle. Um, I have no idea where that started, but, uh, yeah.
0: That is Canucks goalie Thatcher Demko on the ice at practice doing some work with Colin Delia and Ian Clark and speaking about his recovery and the big headline item really at the end there. Drants responding to reports that he wants out saying not true. No truth to it. Don't know how that gets started. And to Murph's question. I know. I this like that's because that... you guys. <laughs> well, hey. You guys.
1: hey, sometimes that's true. And, you know, like when they were calling it outside noise before the Boudreaux dismissal, it was like, come on. That's not outside noise. The call is coming from inside the house, but uh, but in this case, yeah, I mean, uh, that's been a mostly media-driven thing.
0: Yeah, so there you go. And I mean, the interesting thing: there's two parts to the Demko reports, right? Like one well, sorry, is
1: I, like where where have the reports? Yeah, been? The,
0: the, but to me, the the headline with Demko has never been Demko wants out. The headline has been Canucks might be willing to trade him. Teams are calling. Right, which are two separate things. I just now, can't one think might of the, spur I just, or the other. I just can't think of the like hard report on it. You know, yeah, no. It, but to me, the more in, that, that's why again, the more interesting thing has been the potential of trading him, sure. which can be related to him wanting out, but is is not actually the same thing. Well, and like that one, one, and that
1: one may maybe is not so much. Um, you know, I, I mean, the reports are in media, but I don't think that one's like out of left field. Right? Like that was Oh one, the trade one? Yeah, that no. one's so anyway, look. Good on him for addressing it and making light of the situation. Demko's been like, you know, he hasn't spoken very frequently, but it felt like he was being honest and engaged there. And mm-hmm. um in his first chance talking to the press again, you know, it was a, uh, it was like laughing, joking, like that was uh that was Demko at his best. I thought a good piece of audio there for sure, and obviously he'll be a sight for sore eyes for a Canucks team that desperately needs some saves. Yeah,
0: and the timeline was, uh, barring any setbacks, ready to back up against Philly on Saturday. He's aiming to be ready to back up, so... That would suggest then that we're still going to see Spencer Martin come back up to back up tomorrow against the Rangers to back up Colin Delia. Uh, We'll see how it all shakes out. But it was also interesting. It suggests that I know uh, IMAC had reported on the road trip or at least suggested that the Canucks might consider an AHL conditioning stint for Thatcher Demko as he returns from injury. It sounds like maybe that's not in the cards, but we're not going to see him thrust right back into the starters role either and you know this is something we've talked about a couple times but if he doesn't start against philly then you're looking at i believe five games before the deadline so that's very very thin uh and to me it kind of i I wouldn't say puts to bed talks necessarily of trading thatcher demko but that's all that's always seemed more like a summer thing if they're going to explore it to me anyway So so yeah with this timeline it seems very very hard uh, to, well, it seems very hard to imagine it, how it's going to come together. It seems
1: very hard to do it with a contender involved. Yeah. Right. But as a future oriented type thing, I, I wouldn't say it's like impossible. Right. So we'll, we'll see where this goes still. I, I'm not um, taking that off the table as something to watch. But I, I, I mean, I think a Demko trade, I think. Trading anyone with significant salary in term remaining is hard, right? Like, so um, it was always it always felt a little bit remote, and I think it remains. But I, I'm not taking it off the like I'm not taking it off the trade board entirely. We'll leave it there, just maybe like lower it beneath uh, the consideration of what I don't know one of the other things that could happen.
2: Yeah,
0: I mean it's definitely better. It's it, it's lower than it's besser lower now. than besser for sure. Yeah. it would go like Shen. Besser Besser. significant gap for me before anything else. And then you're into like the Demko side plot, you know, JT Miller. It's it's (laughs) the B plot. (laughs) Yeah. It feels like, you know, when they, uh, when a show like lays the seeds for what's going to happen in the next season towards the end of the first season. Right. We're not going to get a a resolution on this now, but it's something to watch. Sure. Something to watch going in to the summer or, or the, or the like end clip in a Marvel movie where we're meeting Jonathan majors for the first time. Yeah. Or the post credits scene. Yeah. that's true that's uh it's good it's all gonna pay off when they do the Thatcher Demko Cal Peterson trade in the summer for sure um my goodness the post-credit scene would just be like a shot of Cal Peterson playing in the AHL (laughs) or something like that this is what's in the future for Thatcher Demko 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox so this one comes in of course he's gonna deny it I mean sure but I don't know, like, no, you uh, also you also have to take the denial at face value, though.
1: Yeah, oh, but, like, I, but I mean, it is true. Like, I think it's good to be media savvy enough to be like, well, what else were they going to say? Right? Like, I thought about that a little bit in reaction to the um, Boudreaux clip on Kipper and Bourne, right? And, and, and I'm not saying that him and JT Miller didn't have a good relationship. Like, please don't get me wrong here. It's just that you've, have you ever heard a coach carve a player in
0: public? After they lo- after they left the job that soon in particular no no you know, never like, well it's one thing to be like you know 15 years later or something you're sure, t- yeah, in your story time you are like oh this guy drove me nuts because he did this or whatever oh right? sure yeah.
1: sure where it's like well past the point of mattering but I mean you know come on like what, a, what you never hear a guy carve a player like that so I, I mean not that not that I didn't take it to be meaningful not that it's a, not a meaningful data point just that it's you know one of those. I think it's good. I think it's good to retain a healthy dose of skepticism. Uh, I encourage every one of our listeners to do so. Indeed. How much does Thatcher Demko move the needle for you right now with this team? Like, like I, I just don't know. Like, I need to. I haven't even seen him practice yet, so I need to see him practice. I need to see what he looks like. If he's, you know, the thing about Demko is he's good enough that he can stop, you know, an awful lot of shots that are like extraordinarily high quality shots. Right. It's mm-hmm. not like he's a systems goalie. He, he's a legitimate star goalie. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that could be hugely impactful for the Vancouver Canucks in, in a negative sense, considering, you know, where their self-interest lies, which is perversely to lose as many games as possible. But I also think that playing behind this team right now is so arduous that he, that it might not matter enough. Like, it might not matter at all. So Well, that's the thing. We'll and when see. you're
0: giving up, like, they have room to get significantly better goaltending and still be really porous defensively oh absolutely That that's definitely on the table now it still might turn some you know 5-4 losses into 5-4 overtime wins right you're 4-4 at the end of regulation because Demko gets that extra save but as much as the Boudreaux bump was founded so much on Demko playing extraordinarily well like the defense has somehow gotten worse from what we saw last season the defensive performance in front of the goalies has somehow gotten worse so I mean there's two questions really there's the question of what level is Thatcher Demko at and how long does it take him if he does this year to get to kind of peak Thatcher Demko performance but I think it's also an open question like how much does peak Thatcher Demko performance even change things in front of this type of defense it's worse it's worse and the team is more checked out than we saw at any point last year when he was putting on such a show so it does, you know, so it does concern me, right? Especially as we've talked about the schedule getting really soft. And if you're running Thatcher Demko out there against Chicago and Anaheim and Arizona, those look like a potential for a lot of wins for the Canucks down the stretch. But I also don't think it's as simple as oh, you bring back Thatcher Demko and all of a sudden this team's gonna play at a ninety five point pace. Yeah, they uh, might though. They might. It's a possibility. They very much I, might. But, but I think it's don't, there's enough downside there that it's not a guarantee. Let's not
1: forget how good Demko can be
0: when he, he can be really dialed good in. He can be really good. He's incredible. He's very good. Uh, and we'll see when we get a chance to see Thatcher Demko back on the ice and in the crease for the Vancouver Canucks. Thank you to everyone for texting in. Really appreciate it. Uh, stay tuned. The PDO cast with Dimitri Filipovich is up next. It's Sportsnet 650.